Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. Today on the podcast, I have Marissa, who is a new friend of mine, and I'm so excited to have her at the table today because we're going to chat about a few different things, but specifically, I'm really drawn to her heart for helping um, kids get access to college and for helping them further their education. So welcome, Marissa. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's back up before we dive into that specific passion. Let's talk a little bit about who you are. I know you currently live in Boston. Um, Just give me just the high level a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I've lived in Boston for about eight years now, originally from just outside of New York. Um, I love the city. I live in a super diverse neighborhood that has unfortunately been a bit more gentrified recently. Um, but I live with my boyfriend, a couple of friends from college. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Did you grow up in a Christian household? Just curious. Cause a lot of my listeners did and some don't, and I'm always just curious where they fall with that. Yeah, I did. So I grew up in a Catholic household. I would say we were more traditional in the sense, uh, my dad was not religious at all, but my mom was, and going to church was very important to her because it was what she had always uh, done. So I was confirmed in the Catholic church went pretty much every Sunday up until I was 14, 15, and then kind of decided it was not for me anymore, Mm -hmm. Um, but kind of came back into Christianity as a Christian who no longer identifies as Catholic um, in college, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Do you know what specifically led you to that in college? Yeah, so I was a freshman in college, um, feeling kind of stuck, feeling like I didn't really identify with any peer group specifically looking for summer jobs. And I found a missions organization to work for. Um, So kind of like a summer camp, but just mission trips for teenagers. They were looking for people to basically set up the camps and do logistical work for them Um, and found a really cool community of people who were a lot like me, who were liberal and also Christian and also supporting marginalized communities. And before I was kind of naive and didn't really know that existed, Um, and just to kind of have their friendship and guidance, I was like, I can go to church. I can find a church in Boston, especially being a liberal city as it is that has all those things. Um, and yeah, haven't really looked back since that was like seven years now. That's awesome. That's so cool. What did you go to college for? What'd you study? I studied psychology and public health. Okay. And what did you think you would do with those degrees when you graduated? And is that what you're doing today? Yeah, so I, I'm actually now going to school for my master's in social work. Um, I've kind of always known I've wanted to be a social worker. Um, when I was in high school, my dad was laid off from work. And while he was looking for work for like three or four years, a really long time, um, he took on a volunteer role as a manager at a food pantry um, and used to drag me along with him Tuesday, Thursday after school every day for like three or four years. Um, that's where I first kind of learned what social workers were and was mentored by some really cool women who were in their sixties, but they were just these incredible social workers. Um, I think I was like 14 or 15. Yeah. In the car on the way home from one of our sessions, stocking shelves. And I was like, yeah, dad, I'm going to be a social worker. Wow. Wow. So that's kind of what you always wanted to do. And here you are getting your master's for that. Are you working while you're in your, um, earning this graduate degree? I am. It's, it's a lot. I, I would not recommend it. 
if people have the choice. Um, unfortunately, it's what makes financially sense for me right now. I have classes at night um, and work full time during the day. What's your full time work? So I am a college counselor. Um, I work specifically with students of color who are all low income and first in their families to go to college. Um, they're all referred to us through Boston Public Schools. And I support about 65, 70 seniors every year throughout the entire college application process. Um, it's weird right now during these times working with students just via FaceTime. But it's also kind of cool because I've gotten to meet some of their family, which I normally don't have the capacity to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you love what you do? What do you what do you like about it? Yeah, I love there's there's really hard parts. There's there's super hard seasons in the fall where it's really deadline driven and I'm trying to keep track in my head of different deadlines that all of these different students have. Um, but the spring is so rewarding around March and April to get all these texts. I got in, I got in. Um, and it's just, yeah, I feel really privileged to be the person that gets to share that with them and to be someone who saw them the summer before when they, they didn't think they could go to college or they thought they had to go to community college because it was most affordable and they didn't know about the financial resources available to them. So it's, it's a very cool place to be in. That's really awesome. I feel like I'm always talking about how I I have no problem acknowledging my privilege and I want to live my life spending my privilege well. And it sounds like that's exactly what you get to do through your job. Um, So you're helping a lot of these kids get into college for the first time, or they're like the first person in their family. I I don't know about you, but like even having my mom was the first person to go to college in my family. Um, but, and, and that was a big deal for, for our family, but I was so fortunate to have her who, you know, she had already gone through the FAFSA process. She had already like figured out all these different things that I can't imagine having to navigate that completely on my own. Like that is so difficult. And I've gotten the opportunity to help one of our former kiddos who um, now lives with us Sunday through Wednesday every week because she's going to the college near us, get into college and walk through that process. So I guess what you do for a living, I got to do for one student, one person (laughs) in my life. And even that was pretty gruesome. Like I got super frustrated. Like we filled out a form wrong. We, there was so much like waiting involved. You know, it's just, it's not, they don't make it easy. And, uh, not everyone's very patient and kind in that process. And so, yeah, like what a cool job that you get to walk these kids and their families through it. That's amazing. I'm curious, you might, you might not have an answer for this and that's okay, but I am curious. You, you particularly mentioned that you work with low income families, students of color. Do you feel like there's that, that people of color, are at a disadvantage when it comes to this? Do you feel like there's, um, I mean, I have a very diverse group of listeners to this podcast, but we don't shy away from digging into racism. We don't shy away from digging into these things. So I'm just curious if you could speak to that for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think racism is alive and real (laughs) as much as I've seen a lot of kind of Christian folks on Instagram who might deny that. Um, I also kind of am exposed to the narrative quite a bit of, oh, I don't see color. Um, I think it's really harmful. Yeah. I think especially in, I mean, college in general, just as a system was made for white men. Um, and for a lot of my students, I work particularly with young women. I'm not sure why, that's just kind of who gets referred to us. Um, so black women attending college is just not, it's not the narrative. Um I think it's a lot harder. I think there's a lot of systemic issues that make it harder 
for these girls to even find out. Like I said before, it's it's just the gap in information and not and not knowing about their options because if no one's done it before you, I don't know how you're supposed to know. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Wow. So I'm sure we'll come back to some of that in a little bit, but let's there's some other things that I also want to get to that I know about your story. Um tell me if you had to name like two or three of the most pivotal moments in your life, like moments in your life that have not only changed you or had an impact on you in a significant way, but have maybe even changed the trajectory of your life in some way or your passions or what would those be for you? What are a couple of those? Yeah. So the, the biggest one in particular, the biggest kind of life changing event that I've unfortunately experienced was a sexual assault when I was in college. Um, I was 19, my sophomore year of college feeling really young and innocent. Um, and it was with a stranger, someone who I had met at a bar, um, don't even know his name, couldn't even kind of place the face now. I think a lot of that is just the trauma that I've been very slowly processing. Um, It's something that I've only shared with a couple of people, my boyfriend right now, who is incredible about it and has known since we were friends even. Um, And then one girlfriend in college. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it changed the trajectory of my life. It was when I was first kind of finding God again and getting really into Christianity um, and finding that really supportive peer group that I mentioned before. And I couldn't help but kind of second guess, like, is this what God intended for me to experience? Like, I, it's really hard for me to see a lot of good in this. Um, it yeah. took me a while to actually open up about it to a therapist. And for years, even using the word rape was, was really hard for me because I, I didn't feel like I was experiencing enough trauma to call it that, which is really weird. Um, because I was going about my day-to-day life. I mean, I've always had, I've had good friends. I was still doing well in college. I was employed. Um, but in the back of my head, I mean, that's not, it's a part of my story and it's not something that you can let go of. Um, I think it, it changed the way that I saw what sexual relationships were supposed to be like for a while until I actually confided in some of those folks that I met through my summer job who were, um, those liberal kind of Christians that I mentioned, but I was seeing it as something that was very casual because someone had taken it from me without asking. And I was like, okay, this is the way the world works. This is how you literally, this is how you get boys to like you. Mm. Um, and I was caught up in that for a few years until I had some conversations with friends, with therapists, um, who just kind of reassured what I had known all along, um, that, nothing about it was my fault that this was not God's way of punishing me for not being a good enough Christian because I did think that way for a while, which Mm. is so messed up now. Um, Yeah. And then I, yeah, I no longer view sex to this day in, in that light where it's, it's something casual that can be taken. It's something that is freely given just because someone kind of took that from me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge pivotal moment. Does that ever, any of, of that ever like impact the work you do with these young people? Like, like, I don't know if maybe it doesn't at all, but I'm just curious, Mm -hmm. has, has God ever opened any doors for you besides this podcast being one of those for you to share about it or for you to connect with someone or for someone to confide in you about a sexual assault? Like, I'm just curious if that's ever come up. 
Yeah, not so much with the students I work with right now, although the rates of sexual assault are definitely higher amongst the young people I work with. Um, just like I said before, a lot of them are in the foster care system uh, and it is more prevalent. I think if anything, it's had more of an impact in the way that I communicate uh, with my friends, with my girlfriends, just it's it's so much more common than we think it is. And it shouldn't be that way. And I'm not saying we should normalize it by any means, but I think knowing that you're not the only one in the room that's experienced this life event, this, this traumatic life event that shouldn't happen to anyone is a little bit less isolating. Um, so if anything, it's let me kind of confide in some more friends as I've gotten older um, and create that space for dialogue about something that shouldn't happen and how there's no need to feel guilt for it. Yeah, that's so good. So, so good. So powerful when we come out of hiding and we can experience healing, especially when we're hiding about something that that is not our fault. I want to go back to your work for just a minute. How do you think, <laughs> I'm probably opening a huge can of worms by asking this, but how do you think we can spend our privilege well? How can individuals who aren't necessarily in your line of work continue mm-hmm. to help? elevate other people who have been oppressed for so long or continue to help provide, or, um, I won't say provide opportunities, but really help bring down the barriers and dismantle Mm -hmm. things that have kept certain people groups from succeeding, from, from gaining financial stability from which, which, I mean, let's be honest, like financial stability, confidence, um, all of these things go hand in hand and how can we as a society and how can we as individuals listening to this podcast make a difference in our own corner of the world? Very big question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it starts with educating yourself. I, I think a lot of times we, we fall short and we leave it to the ones who are being oppressed. So the black and brown folks in our life to educate us, um, It's one of my biggest pet peeves. I work in a very diverse company, but even in that company, I'll sometimes see people kind of ask the folks who are already being oppressed to explain how something feels to them um, when it's just not right. I mean, there's, there's so many resources nowadays. There's Google, there's great Instagram accounts. There are incredible books. Um, I started a book club with some friends at work, just trying to read books about racism every other month and discussing it. And I think that's a huge way to start. I also don't by any means think that everyone needs to have a job that is necessarily working with young people or with black and brown folks. I think it's it's a huge sacrifice. It's a financial sacrifice. I am not paid super well and I'm not gonna lie about that. Yeah. Um, but I think there are there are small ways to get involved. Um, a lot of the students that I work with have mentors who meet with them once or twice a week and they're just kind of there to supplement the work that I'm doing, and that's great. And that's just people who work in finance, who are doctors in hospitals in really high paying fields, who are still kind of finding an hour or two of their time a week to give back. Um, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely becoming a volunteer. Do you have any specific organizations that you can recommend? I have a friend who volunteers with the Big Brothers Big Sisters program, mm-hmm. and that's been a great opportunity for him. Um, he's been able to meet consistently with one boy, and as he spends time with him and invests in him. He doesn't necessarily see like, well, first of all, he's spending time with him not to change him or fix him because there's nothing yeah. wrong with him. 
Mm-hmm. But he's very aware that this boy doesn't have a lot of the privilege that he has. And so when he's spending time with him, he is thinking about, you know, this little boy's future and being there as a resource and being there um, to help him see the opportunities that might be kept from him. Um, so anyways, Big Brothers Big Sisters is one organization that comes to my mind. I don't know if you have any specific ones that you can recommend. Yeah, I, I would say specifically for folks who are looking to get involved with high school age students, just because I think it's it's a really cool transition time in their lives. Um, Minds Matter is an organization, it's national, they have a chapter in Boston, but they're in about 20 different cities now, um, so major cities, and they match mentors with high school sophomores that stay with them throughout their junior and senior years. So super transformational time in a young person's life, and you get to help them throughout the college application process. Um, they only recruit folks who have their bachelor's degrees, so it's kind of someone who has been through the process pretty recently. Um, but yeah, that's what I'd recommend. Awesome. No, that's super helpful. When you were talking about reading books on racism with your friends, uh, it also made me think, have you watched the Netflix documentary when they see us? Yes. (laughs) I recommend that to everyone. Everyone. So hard to watch, but it's, you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. For people listening, if you've ever heard of the Central Park Five, it was a case from many years ago. Well, not many years ago, but it's been like over 20 years. And yeah, even longer. It's probably been like 40 years at this point. Mm-hmm. It was 30 19- to 40. 1986 or something like that. I'm really bad mm-hmm. at math. Anyways, these five boys were falsely accused of raping a woman in Central Park. And um, the documentary, it really shows how racism is embedded in our system, um, in our justice system and in so many other parts of our society. And we'll probably get into that more in future episodes. As many of you know, I'm supposed to be co-hosting an event called This Conversation Might Get Awkward with my friend Tenoria. And we planned an amazing conversation that gets into the weeds on all of these things. And due to COVID, we have had to continue pushing that back out. So it is now rescheduled for October 9th. Fingers crossed we can actually um, get together and have that conversation in person then. But in the meantime, definitely watch uh, When They See Us. And Marissa, what are some top books that you would recommend for people? Yeah, uh, first one that comes to mind um, for all, or what was it called? Uh, Why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? Super good one. I think it dismantles a lot of, I mean, I even caught myself, I went to a fairly diverse public school. I even catch myself uh, back when I was in high school thinking some of those things, which I feel bad about now. But I'm reading that book and I'm like, it it makes sense. You want to be with people who are like you and have shared life experiences. Um, but yeah, I won't spoil too much. It's it's a really good read. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've read that one too. I have that one on my shelf. So that is definitely a good read. Another really good one is I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown, uh, Black Dignity mm-hmm. in a World Made for Whiteness. That's a, that's a very easy read too. Um, it's not very long. And I think if you're just starting out in this work and just um, trying to be a more conscious human, that's, a, that's another really good one. So check those out for sure. Um, Marissa, as we wrap up our conversation here, we didn't get to get into the weeds a whole lot, but I want to ask really tangible pieces of advice from you. So Marissa, what would you say to someone who has faced sexual assault or, or even if they're feeling like maybe they were sexually assaulted, but they've never maybe thought that that's what it was. Cause sometimes we go into the de- like denial of our experience. 
and maybe they haven't told anyone and they're really ashamed. What, what advice would you give that person? Yeah, I, I was trapped in that, in that kind of gray area of second guessing myself for a while, for years. And I think that's also why I didn't tell anyone because I was like, is this real? Is this valid? I mean, if you, if you have good friends, if you have a therapist, if you have anyone who will listen and, and support you, I mean, I believe that everyone should believe women first. Um, but it's, so I understand why people wait for a while to tell. Um, but yeah, just don't, don't second guess yourself. I mean, what you experienced was valid. And if you did not consent to something, that is what it is. That's assault. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You just said that people should believe women first. Um, you know, I've heard people say like, Oh, what if they're just saying it for attention or this or that? And it's like, I'm going to guess that, that, that maybe happens 0.0001% of the time. Um, for those of us who have, and I shared on one of my first episodes of this podcast, my own, uh, kind of me too moment. And I have multiple that two, two particular ones that were very pivotal moments in my life that I haven't shared publicly, but with what I have already shared and with what you've shared, we know this is not an easy thing to come out about. It's Mm -hmm. extremely embarrassing and it Mm -hmm. often feels like it's our fault. Even though as we go through therapy, we learn over and over again, it was not our fault. (laughs) Um, and so it's like to accuse women or to think that they're just saying that for attention is, is so harmful. It's so, so wrong. Um, but no, I appreciate your words of wisdom there. And is there anything else that you think that would be helpful for people to know just about based on the work you do and in their everyday life? Um, obviously, you've given us the advice of maybe getting plugged into a great volunteer organization and and working with kids in that way. But are there any other ways that we can help dismantle white supremacy and help elevate other people? And, and any thoughts there? I mean, I think, I think it all goes back to what you said before about using our privilege for good, recognizing that we are all privileged and also oppressed in some ways, recognizing that it's not a battle of who is the most oppressed or the most privileged person in the room but taking the little privilege that you have and using it in a positive way. Yeah. I love that. Good words. Well, Marissa, it's been a pleasure having you on a longer table. I appreciate your voice. I'm so glad you're here. I can't wait to dig in more as these episodes continue. I'll probably have guests back for part two and we'll get into the weeds a little more on their story or where they're at. In the meantime, uh, thanks again for, for showing up and for sharing your truth. Thank you so much. 